This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. Juice is a company behind Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data. It's a platform designed to deliver easy-to-read, interactive data applications and dashboards. Juicebox turns your valuable analyses into a story for everyday decision makers. For more information on Juicebox or to schedule a demo, visit juiceanalytics.com. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Glad to have you with us on this week's show. I'm very excited to have Andy Cotgrave here on the show. Andy is the technical evangelist at Tableau Software. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, John. Great to be here. Great to have you. Um, good to see you again. Um, why don't we start by having you describe a little bit about what you do over at Tableau? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my my title, technical evangelist. What does that mean? I. <laughs> it's a great title. It's an evangelist, <laughs> man. I know. Uh, yeah. So my first job, twenty five years ago, when I left uh, university, somebody at that job at that company had the title evangelist. Yeah. And he seemed to have the best job in the world. And yep. By chance, I seem to have ended up with an equally amazing job. So. I'm very lucky. My job is to basically help people get to grips with data and visualization and analytics uh, through a Tableau prism. Uh, so primarily, I'm writing blogs and articles uh, and speaking at conferences around the world, mostly in Europe. Uh, and that's it. I'm just, uh, you know, ideas come into my head and Tableau paid me to get those out into the world. It's- I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. Who wouldn't yeah. want to be doing that to get paid to just think about awesome stuff? Yeah, it's been amazing. I, I mean, I've been with the company four years and was a data analyst for about six years prior to that. Mm-hmm. And all my previous roles and skills seem to have coalesced into this this great job. Right. Um, so you just got back, more or less, from the Tableau conference in Vegas. Yep. I'm going to assume you lost all of your stock options at the blackjack table. What um, happens in Vegas, John? <laughs> <laughs> what what data work happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Um, yeah. So uh, so first off, how many how many people are about were at this year's conference? Do you know? We had over ten thousand customers yeah. attending. That's conference. pretty amazing. This is astonishing. Yeah. Um, so what were your top takeaways? It was about a week or so, five days, four days. Yeah. So it was two weeks ago with ten thousand uh, other crazy customers. Um, and for me, I, well, the first thing is just how big. The, the whole scene has grown, you know, obviously from a Tableau perspective, it's big, you know, our keynote is filling the MGM Grand Arena, you know, yeah. we, we shipped our stuff out and Madonna played the next day. It's like, <laughs> what? What? That's crazy. And that's, so that's obviously good for Tableau, but it's just reflective of, uh, of the state of data and in, in, in the wider community and industry. Uh, so clearly things are growing. People have this urge to see their data in better ways. And, I think one of the key t- a key takeaway for me was diversity and what people are trying to do with data. You know, clearly the core of what Tableau customers are doing is business focused data visualization, trying to get, you know, we're going to talk about this later, effective information as quick as they can out mm-hmm. of their data, right? You know, whether it's storing it efficiently and then visualizing it and exploring it as quickly as they can. And that's absolutely the core, but it's. You know, there's there's a bigger scope and a bigger desire amongst our customers, I think, to to understand how to not just functionally communicate their data, but actually engage their audiences with too, whether that's in data journalism or within the business itself. And mm-hmm. you know, I think seeing more design-led sessions and having more design-led conversations is is 
really the, yeah. the, the key takeaways I'm getting from it. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I would suspect there's a lot of data analysts, researchers, folks who don't view themselves as designers, but be able to sit down in a hour session and sort of learn some key design piece. Skills. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think people have realized we, you know, you know, Tableau pioneered in sort of business intelligence industry and you know, the, the let's move away from the terrible crimes of 3D XL yeah. horror. And then, <laughs> and that was great. But then it was like, oh, but mm, people, people don't always engage with that kind of stuff. And right. uh, it's now understanding how to get the balance right is, uh, is one of the key things. Right. So yeah. Tableau's, you know, obviously the thing that people love about Tableau is you can make interactive visualizations pretty easily, drop and drag, dump your data and go, and go to it. Do you think that, uh, all visualizations have, have some sort of level of, of interactivity because you sort of see oftentimes like a static bar chart that works fine as a static bar chart, but then you add some interactivity on top of it. And sort of piggybacking off of that, where do you see the future of interactivity? Are we going to continue doing those sorts of charts? Are we going to – I mean obviously we have D3 and, 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 yeah. and those sorts of tools. But in for, you know, for most of us, <laughs> like and what's the future what? of interactivity? Yeah. 20 minutes to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, only 20 right. minutes to talk about the future <laughs> of visualization. So there's, oh, God, I mean, how you, you can divide things up into many different slices, right? And, you know, for a lot of businesses in, say, operational environments, they try, you know, sales leaders are trying to track sales. Marketing leaders are looking at lead generation or success of their campaigns. In HR, we're looking at uh, employee tracking, uh, you know, employee uh, satisfactions and things like that. For operational dashboards, if we're talking about dashboards in business environments, then I think there's still a lot of space for interactivity because I, as a say I'm a dashboard designer, I can design something and anticipate some of the questions you might ha have when mm -hmm. you consume my dashboard, right? But I can't anticipate them all. So at the most basic, interactivity and filtering allows me as a designer of a visualization to allow you to explore that little bit further. Uh, and I think in the business environment, there's still a huge amount of space and need for that. Uh, I mean, I think further than that, people in business environments also need platforms where they can dive further into those dashboards. Um, you know, at the moment, I'm talking a lot about the concepts of sort of dead-end dashboards. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if if I produce a dashboard that can be consumed by my team or my organization and that inspires a question and then those people can't then answer the question, then it's a dead end, right? Yeah. You know, and so filtering will get you some of the way, but the ability to like actually just open that dashboard up, get into its innards, change the view, add, you know, change, add different dimensions and measures is vital. And so that's, that's more like providing the actual ability to do deep analytics yeah. through, through interactivity, right? So I think in business, we need these operational dashboards, but then when I look at visualization more in uh, sort of the journalist or the public-facing world, I'm seeing a bunch of trends that I think are reducing some of the interactivity that people need. Mm -hmm. um, so I see interactivity changing. You know, this year, if you think about some really influential stuff or some great stuff, the New York Times did the Dawn Wall uh, interactive uh, exploration of the climb up El Capitan, the first guy to mm -hmm. solo it, wasn't yep. it, I believe. And there, you know, as you scrolled down the page, the data changed and the visualization of where they were on the route up El Capitan and Yosemite changed, right? And that's interactive, but not of the sort of traditional exploratory sense. Another example, Peter Oldhouse 
um, who used to be at the New Scientist, now works for BuzzFeed, did a really, really interesting article about how he's beginning to use GIFs and animations more to show data visualization. And I think I've seen that a lot this year. Yeah. Animation is really engaging. It's not interactive, it's not interactivity, but it's, it's kind of got movement. Yeah. And I'm actually a big fan of GIFs for data visualization. And then the final example of what's changing was uh, Aaron Pilhofer, actually on this very podcast a few months ago, yeah. said like in about the fifth minute that what he's seen from New York Times, now The Guardian, is that people want simple charts embedded in the flow of the text. Right. And he, yeah. so he's gone from doing rich interactive stuff, you know, pushing the world forward through the New York Times, through right. the work they do there. So actually, people want simpler stuff. And that to me loops back a little bit to the dawn wall of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. I think interactivity is more being driven by the scroll wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think I've got, I'm looking at a piece on my smartphone or my tablet. And I'm learning to interact by scrolling. And as we scroll, you know, the, the whole thing's changing. Uh, bits of data come in, come out as and when they're needed. And there's been various different examples of that this year. So I'm seeing that a lot. So I'm seeing the scroll wheel being more interactive, being more driving interactivity. Um, I, think, I think the other thing is I am seeing a lot of chart, a lot of data journalism moving towards just show me one simple chart. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like I've got my body of text and just embed a chart in it. Um, yeah. I was at an event last night, a data journalism event last night. There was a book launch, and I was speaking to the uh, data team from The Times, and they were saying this. You know, it's like we just want to do simple charts that are embedded in flow. Mm-hmm. So I think the interactivity, rich interactive, interactive, uh, rich interactive dashboards are maybe not being used so much in data journalism. But when you're doing a simple chart, one simple bar chart, you've still got the tooltip opportunity. You know, yeah. and you can have, here's a simple bar chart. Just click on the tooltip and I can tell you a little bit more information. Right. Yeah. Uh, but this distinction is really interesting between sort of the internal dashboard so that the team can sort of dive in and get more information versus the external front-facing, I'm putting a graph or two or three, maybe embedded within the text. I mean, what I yeah. see too often is the, there's a graph and, or, 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 you know, a visualization, but the, the story being told in that simple visualization doesn't match what's being told in the text. So the text is talking yeah. about something in some order and the visuals sort of popped in, but it, you know, resorts the data in some other order. And so they, they don't match. So I, I sort of see that as, you know, obviously not for the Times and the Guardian, but for, but for other groups sort of trying to do a better job of linking the visuals with the text and thinking yeah. about it as of a holistic sort of single uh, approach to telling the, the narrative. That's true. Um, uh, Hannah Fairfield gave a great example and a great keynote at Tapestry Conference earlier this year talking about, I think she said, the revelation defines the prize. And she was she was so showing, again, very simple visualizations. Each She was swiping left to right in that case. And each, each left to right swipe just built the visualization a little bit. It was just a simple line chart about um, deaths as a result of the change in helmet laws, as I remember. Yeah, right, the motorcycle. And, one, it, yeah. and it was just a little bit of text and a little bit of simple visualization that right. actually told a very good story. Yeah. And again, so her message, and again, the message last night is data journalism is still driven by good stories. Mm-hmm. When the interactivity loses you, right. then it's right. not good. Or it doesn't, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't add, doesn't enhance the story, right? Like, no. what's the point? Um, yeah. Great. So those are all great, um, great comments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the other thing about GIFs and animations is Nigel Holmes, who was also on the show a few weeks ago, made the same sort of comment that he sees animations, sees GIFs 
coming to be an important part of the toolkit. Um, he's obviously done a lot with that um, for the New York Times. I think he's done done yeah. a bit too. So. Um, yeah. Very good. So I'll put those links on the on the show notes page so people okay. can take a look. So I want to move on. We we um, of course this is a shortish show, so we don't have a ton of time. But I'm going to open a huge debate and uh, <laughs> we'll just talk more <laughs> pretty quickly. So uh, Stephen Few, as you know, wrote a, a blog post about Alberto Cairo, who's at University of Miami. Miami invited David McCandless from Information Is Beautiful to give a talk, and Stephen Few sort of said, "Well." Uh, well, Stephen Fusa has long known dis- dislike, I'd say, for for yep. Canlis's work. So he said, you know, you shouldn't give this guy sort of a, a platform to to uh, talk. Um, so you wrote a post, on, uh, put a post on on Stephen's uh, site. So why don't I sort of let you maybe talk about what you saw in Stephen's post and your response and, and where you see that that discussion? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> and if I, I, you, every listener should go and look at this yeah. blog post. It's a, it is an amazing blog post, an incredible debate yes. with a, well, who knows how long the comment thread will be by the time this goes out. Yeah. Uh, right, so the, the debate, Stephen Few is passionate that data visualization should be about communicating data most in the most effective manner. Stephen Few's opinion is that David McCandless is the antithesis of this and is preaching to businesses that McCandless's infographic data art yeah. inaccurate possibly possible style is not the right thing to do and therefore Alberto should have if he's going to give McCandless a platform at least provided a counterpoint so that members of the public at that lecture could have understood that maybe that isn't the best way to do things right right it's a great debate now i made a comment in fact, one of the first in my, in my comment, I opened it with "Who says data visualization should inform effectively?" Somebody further commented, said, uh, "I read that, and I'm like, we might as well throw in the towel." And I was like, "Oh, really? Interesting." So, what did I mean by that? <laughs> I'm going to make three clarifications first. First of all, anybody who knows me and has read my stuff knows that I care about people being able to communicate data effectively, right? That's right. what I've written. That's what I've been working about, working on for the last eight years. If you're trying to communicate something and you're trying to do it in a business environment in particular, mm-hmm. then doing things with the most effective way possible is absolutely vital. Second thing is I really like Stephen Few. I love Alberto Cairo, and I think David McCandless does some really good stuff, uh, which is hugely popular. And We cannot deny the fact that he's tapped into – something that people love yeah the third clarification before i actually get to my point is um what i'm really fascinated about is and i talked about earlier is the balance between functionality as prescribed by stephen few Mm -hmm. and beauty as kind of uh shown off by david mccandless there's a tension in visualization even in a business environment we need to do something that is functional but engaging and i think all you know stephen few agrees with that you know, I don't think he disagrees with that. So that's the clarifications. I, I do care about effective communication of data. My point is <laughs> that this is two words, data and visualization. Data, uh-huh. visualization. So again, data and visualization. At what point in those two words does it mandate how you visualize data, right? Mm-hmm. And if if you want to use data visualization for effective communication and being effective as possible in the Stephen Few manner, then do, right? Most of data visualization is about that. You know, most data visualization is done by people in businesses trying to find 
what the data is saying, communicating right. that to the organizations in order to improve the business, improve the world or, you know, but solve, cure diseases, whatever, whatever we're trying to do that. So what Stephen Few, his approach is absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But I, I just see it as a semantic thing. That's data visualization with the purpose of effective communications. All right. You know, we, Stephen, and I, Stephen and I have had much correspondence on this uh, offline. And, you know, the sentence is about, but if you're going to visualize data for the purpose of effective communication, I'm like, there you go. You've just taken data and visualization and given it a separate clause, a clarification. Uh-huh. So I think if consider somebody like Stephanie Posovich, mm-hmm. brilliant data practitioner right now. When you, if you go and look at her work, say her amazing air quality necklace or her explorations of um, some of the books where she makes these incredible yeah. treats, that's data visualized. It's data visualized. I, I don't think you can say it. Is anything but data visualized? Yep. Is it the most effective way of visualizing that data in order for people to get rapid insight? No, but it's art. Yeah. And... I think where Stephen Few and I disagree is he would say Stephanie is a data artist. Stephanie is not doing the data visualization. Whereas I'm like, no, she's doing data visualization for the purposes of art. Uh-huh. So I actually think, you know, we're, we're kind of all on the same page. I just have a fairly passionate, no, I, I, semantic I, I, uh, distinction between these things. And, and uh, sorry, I'll, and then the last thing is, you know, Stephanie also says when she's thinking about her work, she's trying to inform. Mm-hmm. She, she is absolutely trying to inform, but she's trying to do it in a different way. She's trying to provide the gist of what the data is telling her. Right. And what is wrong with that? There is nothing wrong with that. Right. It, it's, well, I wouldn't make my business dashboard on it. Right. But I, it's a brilliant way of visualizing data. And so I see, well, well there you go. <laughs> no, no, I, I think that, and I think it, it comes back to what you were talking about earlier versus the internal sort of, uh, the internal approach to visualizing data, which is we want a dashboard. It doesn't have to be the most beautiful thing. Uh, we want it to be engaging because we we want to look at it. But the point is to dive deeper into the details and learn something. Whereas an external visualization, you know, everything's a spectrum, right? So you may move closer on the on the on the aesthetics piece on the external facing stuff, mm-hmm. but closer to the functionality piece on the on the internal piece. I sort of wonder whether this is. Uh, you know, I, the the sort of the, the motivation for Stephen's post was Alberto shouldn't have invited him to give him a platform, yeah. and I sort of wonder whether this is um, even if you don't agree with someone, uh, do you still invite them to come and let them share their ideas? Now, I can imagine a case where let's just say I had the opportunity to invite two politicians, just mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I I might. I would probably invite a politician had that opportunity who doesn't agree with my political leanings, but I probably wouldn't invite a politician who's going to come in and spew off, you know, hate speech and racist speech, yeah. right? So, and I kind of feel like Stephen sits to this side of, you know, on the internal part, which is we need to be able to dive into data and understand it. Um, and so, you know, on that side and sort of his his view of who you're going to allow to to speak and provide their views is a little probably a little more hard edge than mine than mine would be i would think yeah i i i'd agree with you and you know alberto invited him well if it's so most of the audience were alberto's students who are yeah consuming this talk as part of a wide-ranging uh talk on data visualization practitioners theory and best practice 
intelligent people can make their own judgments. Um, I think Stephen Few was more like, yeah, but there were members of the public there who, right. you, you know, it's like you don't want to start them off on the wrong track. You don't want their first exposure to this thing to be inaccurate representations of data. Because Stephen Few is actually, it's not just the data art side of it. It's the inaccuracies that wind Stephen Few up. Um, yeah, which I, which I uh, completely agree with. So I've yeah. seen some things of David's that I just, I just, that, that, that's just wrong. Like that's mm-hmm. just, that, that data is being used in the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I get his point about you don't want to sort of introduce people to the, you may not want, let me just say, you may not want to introduce people to the field on that side of the spectrum. On the other hand, um, I don't suspect that McCandless was invited there to give a speak to um, give a workshop or, you know, sort of teach people how to do data visualization, yeah. right? Um, yeah. That might be a different, a different take. And also, yeah. you would expect people, like you said, who are intelligent, who are working with data, they, you'd think they'd sort of look around to see what other people are doing and yeah. sort of try, yeah. to, try to figure out what are the best practices. Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree. And I think I, I'm slightly slightly more passionate about this because i mean there was another recent post by stephen feud where he dismantled the thought starter um from extremepresentations.com and i don't remember the author of it and it was a little thought map of you want to do data visualization what do you want to do and and stephen feud ripped it apart yeah making you know every point was kind of valid and and but his, his his main theme was you know if this is how people start off you are teaching them the wrong thing to do, mm-hmm. right? And fair enough. But that thought starter, I printed out eight or nine years ago when I was first trying to get into data visualization. And I, I saw this thing and I was like, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is a field which actually has – it's not just choose a chart in Excel. It's actually think about what you're doing. Think about what you're trying to show and here's some ideas. I like to think that I then discarded that chart after uh-huh. it being on my cubicle wall for about two years and then learned that there are, there are things in that chart chooser which are incorrect. Yeah. But that was a gateway for me. And I think intelligent people can take that gateway, be inspired by things like this, maybe be inspired by th- people like McCandless, and then discover the true path. The, mm-hmm. the true path. Yeah, <laughs> Here yeah. I am being Whatever that is. Just, Amen, brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what happened to me. You know, I, I started on the, on the wrong path with the thought starter and ended yeah. up on the right path with the yeah. thought starter. And, and you know, I, I think people, as so long as people are exposed to, the, to all sides of things, then hopefully people are intelligent enough to make their own yeah. to make their right judgments eventually. Well, I think it's um it's a really interesting post that Stephen wrote, and as you mentioned, the conversation going on in the comments is uh, that alone is worth reading. And you yeah. have to give Stephen, you know, uh, immense load of credit for actually starting these conversations, yep. which I think a lot of people are sort of wary to do. But he's he's willing to go out there and you know ask these ask these questions, um, which I think is is a real service to the field and and to how people are going to learn. Oh, absolutely! Read the post, contribute, and yeah, he you know. He is super duper passionate about what he's trying to achieve. And, you know, well done, Stephen, honestly. Massive massive respect for him. Great, Andy. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this for hours. And we have and we will. um, (laughs) But we're going to wrap it up here so people can uh, get back to their normal lives. Um, Andy, thanks for being on the show. I I appreciate taking out the time. Thanks, John. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, If you have comments or suggestions, please hit me up on Twitter or on the website. And please rate the show on your favorite podcast. Uh, a podcast provider. It does help other people 
learn about the show and get involved in the comments. So uh, thanks again. And until next time, this has been the Policy This Podcast. Thanks. Again, thanks to my sponsor, Juice Analytics. For 10 years, Juice has been helping clients like Aetna, the Virginia Chamber of Commerce, Notre Dame University, and U.S. News & World Report create beautiful, easy-to-understand visualizations. Be sure to learn more about Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data, at juiceanalytics.com. And be sure to check out their book, Data Fluency, now found on Amazon.